0: Arches and Halos, professional
1: brow grooming. Be bold, be you.
0: Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?
1: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, I'm. I when we were researching this podcast today, which is called Should Dads Be in the Delivery Room? I was reminded of a story my mother told me once about um, the birth of my younger brother, her third child. Mm-hmm. And since it was the third child, The doctor asked my dad if he wanted to catch the baby. Oh. You know, he'd seen enough by that point. He could he could handle it. And my mom told me that at that point, my dad was just useless to her because all he did was run around getting ready for his job, talking to the doctors about his job, and it was Uh just like, you know, he kind of forgot she was the one having the baby. His job of catching the baby. He, you know, he didn't want to mess it up, obviously. That's uh-huh. a bad thing to mess up. But yeah. she said, you know, it's not like he was helping her <laughs> during that point at, because, you know, he was just like, what do I do? What do I do? Good, do I do this? How will it look? Blah, blah, blah. And uh so, you know, it was she said that he was a little useless on that on that delivery.
0: But based on the articles we've read about father's experience in the delivery room, your dad was pretty brave for yeah. being stationed Willingly down there to yes. catch the baby. I mean,
1: up close. Up close and personal. And personal
0: with your mother's vagina.
1: <laughs> well, it's a third child. I guess by that point, maybe he'd, I don't know if he'd been stationed at the head or the bottom before. I mean, mm-hmm. that seems to be a big deal in these articles you read about where you, where you're stationed during the childbirth. Yeah. But I was thinking of that story when I was reading these articles because there's this big question. I guess it's not a big question, but it's a question. Yeah. It's been thrown out there about whether dads do more harm than good in a delivery room when they're there with their wives and whether they should be there at all because maybe they don't want to be. Maybe we're just all forcing them to be in there cutting cords, catching babies, when they'd rather just be uh, doing the 1950 dad thing and and just hanging out in the waiting room.
0: Right. I mean, I've I've thought about this. No, I have never um, been in a situation that that would demand... uh, Okay, I've never been pregnant. That's the easiest way to put it. Um, But the thought of, you know, a guy, a man you love, seeing all that gore, (laughs) Uh, the beauty of birth and also the gore of birth... Is a little disconcerting. Um, but, uh, this all, there's a debate that kicked off fairly recently, um, by this French obstetrician who claims that fathers and the quote, masculinization of the birth
1: environment are causing an increasing rate in C-sections. Right. He argues that if the male partner is in the, in the delivery room and he's really anxious because obviously birth can be kind of a traumatic process if you're watching it. Mm -hmm. He's saying that this anxious man who's pacing back and forth, who wants to fix all this pain, he's actually slowing the woman's production of oxytocin, which aids in the process of labor. And without this hormone, oxytocin, that's, you know, rushing through the woman, making the birth go easily, the woman is more likely to have a C-section.
0: Right. And that, uh, theory has yet to be confirmed by any, any follow-up studies. And the thing is, having dads in the delivery room is a pretty big deal that took a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, in the thirties and up into the sixties, guys did not hang out in the delivery
1: room. You dropped your wife off at the hospital mm-hmm. or you sat in what they called a stork club. Yeah. Which is basically just a glorified waiting room. Mm-hmm. But there were these journals in these waiting rooms and men would write in them and their writings were actually one of the big things that allowed men to get into the delivery room.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there was a study that we found on the history of the or I guess I should say the the process of moving the men from like you said, just dropping <laughs> dropping their wives off mm-hmm. to actually hanging out at the hospital to actually being in the delivery room and in these stork clubs where they would have radios and the guys could smoke cigarettes and pace around. It felt very, you know, like where Donald Draper would probably yeah. go to wait for uh, January Jones to give birth. Um, and they would fill out their thoughts in a, in a father's book. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them focused on how worried they were about their wives being in pain. Um, a lot of them beseeching Jesus Christ to help their dear wife out uh, and deliver baby safely. And a lot of them also talked about uh, how much they were really, really hoping for a boy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> in fact, uh the, the, I was reading some of these things. And one of the funny ones was, thank God it's a girl. So she will never have to go through what I went through waiting for the wife to give uh-huh. birth. She'd actually be the one in the room. But I was like the only person who was really glad that he had a girl who saw like this weird, bright side of having a girl that, you know, 30 years down the line, she wouldn't have to wait in a store club. But yeah, it was these really, I mean, most of them were very sweet, like, oh, my my poor wife is not good with pain. I wish I could yeah. be there with her. I wish I could hold her hand. And uh, Robert Bradley, who wrote a book called The Bradley Method that a lot of women use to um, prepare for labor, also wrote a book called Husband Coached Childbirth. And it was based on his reading and his delivering, reading of these journals and also his delivery of babies that convinced him that husbands could play a really important role in the birth.
0: Right, and he wrote this book in 1962, and it was around this time that the push for men to move into the labor ward really kicked off. Um And actually, the first prenatal classes for couples started around 1956. So this, that's when we start to see this movement. And it was interesting um that it wasn't linked to any type of feminist movement. Mm-hmm. You know, this wasn't in, about gender equality at all. Um, it was actually more about this 50s focus on the era of, quote, the husband, wife, and 2.4 children. It was, um, you know, there was this new idea of this family unit, and with that, you have the dad in the delivery room ready to catch that baby.
1: Which in some ways kind of cuts down on the sense of community that other women might have felt in earlier times having babies. I mean, babies used to be born in your home with a bunch of women around you Mm -hmm. and it wasn't considered a man's place at all to be there for that. And you're right. It's the shift towards the importance of the family unit that really drives the dad into the delivery room. And it kind of seems maybe like a double-edged sword because on the one hand, there are plenty of dads who describe it as magical, that they were so glad they were there, they could support their wives. But on the other hand, maybe these women aren't getting the support of a midwife that they need or a doula. Or maybe these men just don't want to be there and are ill-equipped for this role where they, you know, aren't in control and, and can't help their wives the way they might want to. And, uh, you know, we've talked before, Kristen, about how maybe in modern relationships we put too much pressure on this one person to complete you and to be there for you sure. for everything. yeah. And uh maybe it's too much pressure to expect someone to be by your side in childbirth and then also want to have sex with you later. <sighs>
0: My goodness. I'm sure, <laughs> sure there are a lot of, uh, a lot of mothers and couples, um, who would have plenty to say about that. Um, but anecdotally, yeah, that can be the case. For instance, writer, um, Nick Hornby said that the experience of seeing his first child born left him numbed and shocked. Um, some psychologists have compared men's experience of seeing their wife give labor as, um, post-traumatic, as inducing post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, guys almost always report feelings of massive anxiety and fear, I mean, because they're seeing this person that they love in a lot of pain, probably. I mean, they might be a little numbed out due to an epidural, but um there's always that sense of helplessness.
1: Right. And, you know, one article put it or one writer put it this way that, you know, if your if your wife needed like knee surgery, it's not like they would expect you to go into the room and hold her hand while she's getting knee surgery. Right. But this is this can also be a major surgery if you're having a C-section or just sort of a. Uh, a long process if you're giving birth naturally and, and maybe, um, there shouldn't be, you know, your partner and they're holding your hand when it's a major medical emergency like that.
0: Yeah. And, and not to freak people out, but statistically marriage breakups are most likely to occur in the 18 months following <laughs> childbirth. And there was one psychologist writing in the New York Times who was saying, I mean, I'm not saying that childbirth, you know, seeing that, uh, happen is, is, you know, triggering all these divorces. But in some of his patients, it was something that, you know, the men could never recover from. Mm-hmm. They could never see their wife in the same way after that. And
1: yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm kind of, I feel uncomfortable even saying that out loud um, but that's uh, why we have listeners, Kristen. I mean, the, the solution that all these psychologists and writers and obstetricians are suggesting is that rather than having every father by default in the delivery room, mm-hmm. the couple should have more of a discussion about whether the dad even wants to be there. If he does, are there special like prenatal classes he should be taking that are geared directly toward him as opposed to toward a couple or toward the mother ways in which we can make dads feel more comfortable in the delivery room? But I think that's the question for our listeners since you and I have never given birth. Can you imagine giving birth without your husband there? I mean, would, would it have been better if he wasn't there? Or would, uh, would you rather have him in the store club or does he need to be there? Is it something that fathers need to see?
0: Yeah. And, um, also we have to keep in mind that back in, we don't want to, we don't want to regress back to the forties when doctors would not allow Men in there, there was even a story of a guy chaining himself to his (laughs) wife's bed so that he could be there, um, for the delivery. And in 1973, there was actually legislation introduced in Congress that would force hospitals and physicians to allow fathers in the delivery room. Yeah. Now, obviously, we don't, and that would never pass, thank goodness, <laughs> because we don't need to legislate that kind of stuff, in my opinion. Um, And also, we need to keep in mind the fact that uh not everyone, actually, a lot of people who are giving birth in hospitals these days don't have husbands. Yeah. You know, and uh what kind of role, you know, should boyfriends, or if there is no boyfriend, you know what I mean? Like, now, the conversation is so much different than it was back in the days of the husband, wife and 2.4, 2.4
1: kids. Yeah. But then at the same time, doctors are saying you can't have so many people or people in there who are going to, you know, impede us from doing our job. Right. So that's a fine line too. And, um, that's why I think we should just open up to our listeners. Like who did you want in there? Who was in there? Who was dead weight in there? Yeah. (laughs) Who was running around trying to catch the baby? Like my dad on baby number three. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this? Is, is this French op- obstetrician just insane? Just anti-male, trying to bash all the dads out of there? Or are there some dads out there who would have liked to have opted out? Yeah.
0: So send us your thoughts. stuff at howstuffworks.com and squeamish dads out there. Don't worry. We will protect your anonymity. <laughs> you can be honest with us. Uh,
1: and in the meantime, let's read a listener email or two. <laughs> Okay, I have one here from Marin, and it's about the Soap Opera podcast. She writes, I'm a proud watcher of General Hospital and Days of Our Lives, and I was so happy to see a soap podcast. I grew up with my mother coming home at noon and watching One Life to Live, and I have very fond memories of curling up with her on her lunch hours while she watched her stories. When I was 12, Disney was the entity that launched me into my own soap fascination via their movie Xenon Girl of the 21st Century. Though I fell out of watching soaps regularly by my senior year of high school in the first few semesters of college, I found a renewed love for the soaps after moving back in with my parents as a too broke-to-function on my own college student. Thanks to SoapNet and their evening showings of the daily soaps, I've been better able to recapture the lovely mother-daughter time spent bonding over how Bo and Carly made a better couple than Bo and Hope, how revolting E.J. Damaris is thanks to his use of children as chess pieces, how cruel it was in Nicole to steal Sammy's baby, and I've even found my way back to my favorite soap star, Kristen Storms, who now plays the delicious, fashionable, and slightly neurotic Maxie Jones on General Hospital. I am incredibly sad to see the end of an astounding era in TV history, and it breaks my heart to know that I will never be able to bond with my daughter over soaps in the way that my mother and I have. Well,
0: I've got one here from Malcolm, and this is in response to our episode on men and makeup. He writes, I'm a twenty-four-year-old gay man who has at more than one time in my life worn makeup, specifically eyeshadow, eyeliner, mascara, and concealer. Outside of one particular incident while working at a coffee shop, I had nothing but positive reactions to my wearing of makeup from men and women, and several women even asked me where I got my makeup. I don't wear makeup anymore, in part because my personal style has changed, and in another part because I'm a college student and don't have time. In contrast to this, my current boyfriend uses an extensive amount of skincare products, so much so that his nightly beauty care regimen takes up to an hour While few men, gay or straight, will admit to such practices, I can verify that it is incredibly common. The reason this may have not shown up in the statistics you read during the podcast is because, in the case of my boyfriend and a few straight friends of mine, many men buy women's skincare products and or use their girlfriends interesting insight Malcolm so if you have some insight to share with us as well our email address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com you can also hit us up on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and in the meantime you can read our blog during the week it's stuff mom never told you from howstuffworks.com What if I told you that UFOs, haunted houses, and even inexplicable magic tricks are all caused by the same creature? And what if I told you these powerful and ancient beings are meant to be feared? The Hidden Djinn, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Mankey's Grim and Mild, explores the legends of these ancient and terrifying creatures. Join me, Rabia Chaudhary, as we step into the world of The Hidden Djinn. Listen to The Hidden Jin on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.